podcast app. You'll see there's a discourse happening. Is this book a masterpiece or problematic? One's a lifelong diehard fan. The other's a first-time reader. Both are really smart and funny and attractive. Sweet feathers, sweet feathers. Talking trends and So we'll start, as is our tradition, with my kind of opening thoughts. Playing with fire. What was my first impression of the text? Rich, provocative, disturbing. I'm so so sorry. I actually love starting with you reading it from the cliffhanger and then going... One moment, please. So we're at the dance. Winston and Jessica have, of course, just been crowned king and queen of the dance. Just then, Bruce sailed past, nearly colliding with Jessica, as she stumbled backward in an attempt to escape Winston's murderous feet. He swept her with a long look that sent an electric shock tingling up her spine. There was a hint of invitation in his smile, and more than a spark of interest in his sexy blue eyes. Some of her misery faded. Could it be? Can Jessica play Bruce Patman's game and win? Find out in Sweet Valley High 3, Playing With Fire. Okay. General overview, this book is a terrifying and sad picture of teen dating violence and the ways in which an emotionally abusive partner can stifle and limit one's experience. I am interested in a couple of different things. One is this title, Playing With Fire. Obviously, like, the meaning of playing with fire is, like, you're taking something light, but it's something very serious and it can burn you. And I am wondering to myself, what does it mean that we are classing, like, oh, what? <laughs> Dr. Pardo? What? I have to tell you what I'm laughing. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I haven't because even gotten to my insights yet. <laughs> Yeah. Because as you were talking, yeah. I was literally started like I was listening, but then I started thinking to myself, like, wow, I'm being such a good listener. Like, look at me not interrupting. <laughs> <laughs> like, look at me just sitting here nicely waiting, and, and then I'll get to, and I'm like, no, you're supposed to be actually listening. <laughs> Wait, so you have no idea what I said? No, 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 I do. you so busy no, congratulating I... yourself on listening to what I was saying? Well, can I paraphrase back what I got? And I'm trying to be honest here because I don't want to miss anything. Okay? <laughs> yeah. So I'm sorry that that caused a break in your flow. But can I... Okay, I didn't even get to my point. <laughs> no, but that's why you said, so I didn't get the whole bit. Let me tell you what I got to. The first meaning of playing with fire is you're taking something lightly that, that is serious and it can harm you. And then you're about to say the next level... Uh, of interpretation. 
Oh, I guess one of my concerns is that we are classing what is happening between Jessica and Bruce as a game. I mean, it's literally, can Jessica play Bruce Patman's game and win? We're calling it playing with fire. And it just feels a little dismissive and potentially damaging to consider this like, oh, it's a game. Like, well, it's, it's not a game. It's like a manipulative, abusive boyfriend. So, like, are we playing? Is it a game? I completely agree. And I think that that is a really consistent problem in the series of, as we saw last week with Ken and Ms. Dalton, you know, the controlling dynamic of Ronnie that was sort of downplayed, you know, previously Jessica's encounter with Rick Andover, where she's kind of punished and shamed and victim blamed. Elizabeth barely reacting to the possibility that Todd attempted assault of Jessica. There's this, yeah, I think consistent like diminishing of that. I think calling it a game also makes it seem like, I don't know, they're sort of doing the same thing or something. And like, they're sort of playing the same game when it's yeah. like, no, he is, as you said, being really abusive to her. Yeah, not only is it like something serious that should not be called a game, but also like they're not engaging in something on the same playing field if it were a game. And it also like, say there were no violence, there were no abuse, even if it was something benign or even good, the framing of it as a game is still framing it as that romantic, i.e. heterosexual romantic relationships are inherently combative or antagonistic or like you're on different teams. It feels really dismissive and it feels like it's, it makes it all the more chilling that these are marketed towards like adolescent girls and we're thinking of it as like, it just feels almost lighthearted in a way that's like a little bit disorienting and damaging. There is maybe some redeeming messaging of how it turns out. Yeah. um, And what Jessica learns from this, but like it still is never taken as seriously within the story as it needs to be, as is basically every single other instance of this. Yeah. Even though I've read this like 8,000 times, like every time I read it, I really do have feelings happen when Jessica starts becoming kind of like subservient to him. And like when she loses the tennis, Ugh. starts like, we'll neglecting get there. Her. like I, I feel it emotionally. And so yeah. like to see her then get back to herself at the end feels like cathartic or something, but yeah, I, I'm interested in that and we're going to get there of course. Mm-hmm. And I do think, yes, the like kind of language around playing and game and that kind of thing is really disturbing. I think the idea of it being fire, it being scorching, it being something that could could quite literally kill you. I do think there's a richness there that kind of makes sense. Mm, because what is fire if not the physical uh, embodiment of the uh, flaming tensions of the sexuality and the, no. And the no, fear no, 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 and no, no, the no, pleasure no. and the delight and it can warm but it can burn and it can tear down a forest and it can generate a, a, a meal. <laughs> I know that you were doing your like kind of funny professor voice while you were kind of mocking me, Mm -hmm. but I do think there is something in the title playing with fire that does conjure the duality of which you speak. And of course the duality that is central to these texts. We are nothing if not twins. We are nothing if not dual. I have more to say about the just dynamic of Jessica and Bruce and all of that, but I know we'd like to go chronologically. So thank you. I'm going to leave. I'm going to follow your lead as a woman should do with a man, and we learned that That's from That's correct. Book. Yeah, if we learn nothing else from this book, 
It is a woman listens, a man speaks. There is something, though, realistic about the, like, girl you never expect it because she has so much confidence to be the one who's actually susceptible to this stuff. Like, Jessica, yeah. like, Jessica ends up later, like, this isn't a spoiler because it's, like, literally in the title, like, getting into a cult. She can become vulnerable to these things because her confidence is so surface and her wound is so deep. Anyway, we'll get into that later. Go on. We open, as I'm sure you remember... Wait, you didn't want to say anything about the cover art and about, you know, you mentioned oh last time the girl's God. looking old. I would love to know how old you think Bruce looks here. 45. He has like a full beat, like a full face of makeup on. He's wearing lipstick, not lip gloss, lipstick. His pout, that bottom lip. I know. I've never seen such a lip. It's I've never seen, and the eyes are also really kind of... It's got like almost a Twilight vibe to it. Yes. It just, he looks vampiric. Yes. And the the sort of thing draped over, ew, it's so disgusting. Yeah. It looks like so much of a pelt. And his hands on her neck, I'm like, yeah. ew. It's, I mean, that hand on the neck speaks volumes. It's really sad, but the smug, self-satisfied smirk on Jessica's face, like, ew, I got the man. We'd of course be remiss if we didn't discuss the way in which they talk about bodies. Oh my God. That, favorite, I have a whole head. Our, our favorite segment. <laughs> on that. Our segment, that, the way in which they talk about bodies. Before that, I need for you to join me as we explore, and I'm sure this, it's like probably so obvious to you that you don't even register it anymore. The cover. Who's on the cover this time? Who's not on the cover for the first time in Sweet Valley history? <laughs> Wow. Wow. I have more here, so take your time to digest. Ghostly demarcations. And, okay, for, for our listeners, yeah, just for... could you please clarify who is notably absent from this cover for the first time ever? Our dear, dear friend, Elizabeth Wakefield. It's... Elizabeth Wakefield is not on there. We have Jessica now, and Bruce pictured. What I'd love for you to join me in terms of thinking about is... The idea of ghostly doublings and slippages, the idea that Jessica and Elizabeth are always already playing between one another, flitting back and forth, acting more like a Jessica, Elizabeth acting more like a Jessica, Jessica acting more like a Elizabeth, like back and forth, taking on each other's roles. And I would wonder if we could think about, and this is a reach, but as Jessica becomes more and more subservient, more and more people-pleasing, less and less edgy, less opinionated, more kind of go with the flow in a negative way. Whom does she begin to approximate? The listeners need you kind of a more of a verbal confirmation. Wait, Elizabeth. Okay. Yeah, and... Elizabeth remains on this cover in spirit... As Jessica takes on a more Elizabethan role, Jessica remains on this cover in some ways because Bruce is an exaggerated, horrific caricature of a Jessica. Okay, I, I think it's pushing it because we have to look at the other 140 covers and see, see if that, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I do no. think that's possible, but I also think, like, no. this story is about Jessica, so Jessica's on it more than Elizabeth, but in support of what, but I do agree with your analysis of like this thing of them always being in relation to each other and like acting in relation to each other and like constructing their identity in relation to and like opposition to each other. 
and, and sometimes when one of them becomes more one way, the other one will sort of of course try to so of course correct yeah. Um, and I would love to point you to, and it is in chapter one, so I hope I'm not going too far ahead, Daddy. Okay, because we know who is in charge here. Thank you. They're at the dance. So this is not the fall. No, dance. it is not. This is the after party at Ken's, or this is the next dance, whatever it is, doesn't matter. They're at the dance, okay? Now, some people who are just reading these books casually will skip over the boilerplate descriptions of the twins. I can't imagine it, but someone But will. I noticed something. You got to notice when there's some additional comment in there, right? And so in That's this... what's so beautiful about the form. It's like yes. she ha it's like a sonnet. She's she exactly. sets these rules to draw our attention when she breaks these. Rules. So it's describing like we're, oh. we're introduced to them in their contrasting outfits. Okay? So Jessica's in the blue in her wild outfit. Elizabeth, I died when I read she was in they described it as wheat-colored pants, which I feel like is That's trolling correct. her. That is trolling her because you would never say that. Like that makes her sound like I don't know. A farm girl. A f yeah, like wheat colored pants, like that's so sad. Anyway, so first that, and then blessed with the same all-American blonde good looks, the sisters appeared as alike as identical twins possibly could, but Elizabeth sometimes envied what she felt was her sister's more dramatic flair. So here we get the fact that Elizabeth sometimes envies Jessica. From my perspective, we don't hear that a lot. That rang a bell for me, okay? So I just clocked it. I said, huh, Ding dong. this is gonna, you know, it's, it's sort of Pascal's gun you know, type of thing. She, she never- I think you mean Chekhov's gun? She never puts something that she doesn't pick up, you know? So, so listen, that, that was my- Chekhov, oh, Pascal, oh, because Pascal is her name. I did not understand what you, I thought, I got confused. Yeah, it was a joke, so. I get it. Sorry, no, I, I guess get this it. I, I, isn't a humor. Well, I just feel embarrassed because the, the reason I didn't get the joke is like such a kind well, of Bruce Patman moment, can which I is just that like, I assumed you were wrong and you just got it wrong. Yeah, I know. Okay. No, Bruce. So that was what I first clocked, okay, of, huh, there's some underlying... We get that more from Jessica. Jessica will more sometimes outwardly say, like, oh, people don't take me seriously, or sometimes she wish she would have the respect from her peers like Elizabeth. Like, we hear that more, but we don't hear so much from Elizabeth, I feel. We hear it sometimes, though. Anyway, so we hear that. Then... Jessica lit up in a wide smile at the sight of her sister. Hi, Liz, she said, beaming, having a good time. Don't I always, Elizabeth answered brightly. That Ooh. was just... That's a Jessica. Yeah, that was a moment what? that made me say, huh? And it's not, nothing's made of it. I just clocked it because I was like, that's not something Liz would say. Robert, let me take us to about halfway through the book, and I'll tell you where it is. I'm going to let you just read. Do you want to just read to me or do you sure, want to Sure, I'm just going to read it to you. I'm going to let your words flow over me like a blanket. Elizabeth and Jessica are having a tense moment, and Elizabeth's trying to not piss her off too much with her criticism of Bruce to not get further alienated, which was heartbreaking. But well, pa okay. Sorry, do you want to do the duality now or do you want to wait? hold it? No, wait, I'm on something else. Fine. So they're having a moment, and it's sort of tense, right? And Elizabeth says, Todd's picking me up soon, so I better get dressed. Have a good time tonight. Don't worry, Jessica winked suggestively as her sister stood in the doorway. Bruce and I always do. Oh, I highlighted that for it. Okay, so the beginning, when it. Elizabeth said, don't I always, that's yeah. a Jessica thing to say. And we know she's feeling a little bit jealous of her. And then Jessica sort of repeats it later with a wink. So there's some provocation, Jessica's, there's something Jessica's getting at here where she's picking up on, I think, 
she likes to put it in her face how much fun she has a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I and and that's that. part of what's going on in this story, I think. So I just wanted to share that with you because I felt like that was a sort of interesting co-occurrence of that expression. That's I love that. I do just want to very quickly, in your description of kind of Elizabeth and Jessica's ongoing relationship, you drew attention to the fact that Elizabeth is working to not quote-unquote step on Jessica's toes, not anger her, not make her more upset, not make things worse for her. That, of course, has ghostly resonance with other moments in this text in which Jessica is minimizing herself, walking on eggshells, working her best to not anger Bruce. And it's just so interesting the ways in which these relationships keep mirroring, reoccurring, patterning off each other. So as Jessica dates someone who is more like a, again, monstrous caricature, but a monstrous caricature of a Jessica, she slips into a more Elizabeth role. Is it Elizabeth role? Yeah. Elizabeth's not subservient. She's quiet, but she's not timid and she's not shy. And she always says her opinion very loud, like, especially with I, Todd. You recently just told me about a time when Elizabeth was walking on eggshells to ensure that she wouldn't anger. Just now with Jess? Yeah. Okay, I don't know if I use the term walking on eggshells, but I don't see it quite that extreme. I see it more as, okay. like, she's tried to convince her he's an asshole and that he's, you know, damaging her and that he's bad for her. Jessica, she's noticing that Jessica is unable to hear it and is getting really furious and disengaging from her when she says it. And so she, I think, realistically understands that at this moment, the way to support Jessica and the way to maintain that line of communication when Jessica's ultimately going to need it is to just try to avoid talking shit about him except that they're dating for now and stay an open contact for her you know? yeah again i just come back to does francine pascal understand high school there's this random dance contest like we left one dance and we immediately go to another dance how many dances are there okay i had no problem with how many dances there are in fact i felt self-satisfied by it because i was like see this proves to robert that like there actually are a lot of duties for this ball. Yeah, I mean, like yeah. he thought there wouldn't be enough stuff for them to do but look here she is having to go with him to this next thing so they do have so so fine have all the dances you want my question was the actual dance contest the rules make no sense like it's like no, of course. she starts with winston and then can switch to bruce like it makes no sense at all who did bruce start with and where is she now although i think that also foreshadows some of bruce's dalliances meanwhile uh, I did note that your friend Collins, quote, clearly enjoyed his role as chaperone. I know, gross. Icky, icky. Ooh, the icky. I also want to say, I'm sorry, it's ridiculous, just selling dance contests, that anyone would think that Elizabeth, and I think they just put this in there so it would add another element to the competitiveness of the relationship and the dynamic of, oh, Jessica gets to have her dramatic flair and I don't. But the idea Thank that you. the idea that Elizabeth could stand a chance against Jessica is a joke. And that yeah. is borne out by the fact like i'm sorry elizabeth is a perfectly acceptable dancer she sure, could sure. she could hold her own at the beach disco okay yeah of course and but, she will yeah but jessica has a special talent for dancing and i know i'm not supposed to bring in future evidence but if it supports it's my okay. case am i allowed if it's not a big yeah. spoiler she one time is in a competition and for her special talent does this like amazing modern dance and she trains and the really difficult teacher tells her she has a really special talent um she's also does a lot of dance skills from cheerleading and even though sweet valley twins came later in sweet valley twins number two teacher's pet 
there's a really mean ballet teacher to Jessica, and it's because she's more talented than Elizabeth. So this is literally has precedent. It has after student, well, and it has more after -cedent. whatever. Like anyway, that was and Jessica loves. She has a flair for the dramatic, as we know. Yeah, so. like that was such a joke. But anyway, nice little nice little flowers for Elizabeth. Like take yeah. what you can, sweetie. The way that they gloss over the entire last book with he wasn't Bruce Patman, the boy Jessica longed to be with, the boy she'd hoped to snag when she'd schemed to be elected queen. It just, okay, Francine, no one thinks that Jessica was going to have a hard time or was going to need to scheme to be elected queen. You just needed a plot for a whole book. Enid was not going to be queen. Never. Robert, what did we say? It's not about that. It's about fucking over Enid because of the much deeper vengeful feelings that she has for her from taking away Elizabeth and also from rejecting her. I believe that. I just wish Francine would believe that and would say that here. I, I think Francine does believe that. I think she did tell us that multiple times. I'm just, she just doesn't say it here clearly. Like I Oh, in this book, yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. In uh, this, All I want in this gloss is for her to be like, whom she casually ruined Enid's life for because of her jealousy and bitterness. I just think like last time you complained that the recap was too long and now you're complaining that the recap was too short. So you're kind of getting a little bit of a Goldilocks. Uh, a, I am famously every bit of Goldilocks. And B, it's not that it's too short. It's just not hitting what I wanted to hit. Yeah, fair enough. I get it. It's interesting to me the way that we over and over again hear about Bruce Pittman. She'd been secretly in love with Bruce for years. He was good-looking and charming, and his family was one of the most prominent and riches in Sweet Valley, which made him even more attractive to her. It's getting to the point where the way that we describe Bruce also reflects really poorly on Jessica. Like, if I'm a Goldilocks, she's a gold digger? But I feel like it always reflected badly on her. Like Yeah. Yeah, like, it's repeated that, and that's what it's been, and that's what it is, yeah. I think, I think Francine is making an even clearer case here that it's like... It's superficial. He's, she's superficial. Yeah, yeah. He sucks yeah. and she's superficial to like him. But again, you did, it's uh, it's always like deeper than that for Jess, right? It's like the reason yeah. she's attracted to him is because of this pursuing energy. I like the way that you pulled in kind of the duality of the outfits. I do think we need to spend just one more moment kind of really picturing in our minds the following. No, it hurt. It hurt. I could I I I I didn't like to I think of it. No. Please don't. It actually, it's almost like a sensory, I have like a sens oh. sensory disorder where I can't hear it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I do want to accommodate you. And so I guess I Just won't... say it. Just say it. Because I need to know I if we're talking. No, because I need to know if we're talking about the same thing. Dressed in a bright blue yeah. skin-hugging mini dress and matching tights. Jessica was an eye-catching sight. Ick. You know, one thing we did talk about last week was Dana Larson had an outfit. That I felt oh. like frizzy haired Dana Larson. Um, I think you're confusing her with frizzy haired guy Chesney. She has more of like a modern sort of choppy kind of oh. bob, but but it she is, is but she is edgy. She at the concert or whatever last week was wearing tight black velvet jeans, a purple satin blouse, and sparkly pink oh, I remember that. leg warmers. And I oh. actually spent a few minutes with chat GPT's image generator sort sure. of seeing if I could generate something. But anyway, it didn't work out the way I wanted, but <laughs> it never does. Back to the blue and the blue. No, it's a mess. Okay. It's hideous. Yeah. Across the room, Elizabeth in her stylish, but more casual wheat colored pants and tan striped shirt. It's the stereotype also of like how a communist, how people used to say like a communist. Yeah. 
Yeah. Communist? Don't you think he probably would have told me? Well, does he wear bland, drab, olive-colored clothing? Yes. Yes, he does dress a little drab. <laughs> He's a communist. <laughs> Francine understood, sorry, Ms. Pascal, understands high school so little. I need you to imagine these two girls at the same event wearing these outfits. Does it say what shoes Elizabeth is wearing? Because, no, because listen, I wish. the pants are wheat colored and the top is, I think, tan striped. But depending on the nature and fabric and sort of cut of those garments and depending on the shoe and the accessories and hair and makeup, there is potential to <laughs> elevate it. And if Jessica is wearing, I don't know, some sort of high top or <laughs> denim vest, maybe, or sort of baseball cap, you know, she could probably. Definitely. She There's probably... definitely a baseball cap that Francine didn't feel yeah. she needed to share. Well, listen, with these girls wear literal tuxedos to school, so we yeah. haven't cracked the code on the fashion here. It's yet. like, imagine the two of them in the same room, both of them wearing that. I just, very quickly, it won't take any time, but yeah. I just need to highlight this incredibly gross thing that Elizabeth says. Jessica and I aren't identical in every way, as you should certainly know, Elizabeth said airily. To who? To Todd. He's seen her naked to see their differences. No, but he has kissed both of them, and she still has some resentment over that. Remember the jealousy for that's also connected to the jealousy of Jessica's dramatic flair, right? It's just Elizabeth always has this thing with Todd of he fell for Jess first, kind of thing, technically, right? Not fell for, but like, you know what I mean? A little bit. Yes, yeah. One of my favorite lines in the book that I thought you would really love and would make you love Todd more was when he said, That doesn't sound like the Jessica I know and hate. I love that line. I highlighted that line. I love that line. That made me lol. I love. Yeah. I'm a huge. He's got that gay humor yeah. that I love so well. Well, we'll see. Wait, can I there... talk about the body thing now? It starts at the dance. I mean, is it Robin related? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I think we need like a general disclaimer for our listeners about what's happening with the Robin subplot. Yeah. Well, the first thing to say is that just sort of ubiquitous fat phobia of the whole series that is there throughout becomes central in the description of this one character, Robin Wilson. And what I think is one of the more troubling things about it was that the descriptions oftentimes are coming from the sort of like narrator voice. That's the biggest yeah. problem for me. In it addition is the to narrator, it's, yeah. the characters. So not only are the characters describing her as trigger warning, Miss Tubby, they call her all kinds of things, but the narrator calls her the overweight girl, calls her as fast as her plump legs would carry her, describes her yeah, ample midsection. So, so it is the narrator's it's, fat phobia, yeah. which means that it, of course, is being like endorsed by this like authoritative voice. It's not something it's that so is going to be internally critiqued. The way Winston treats her is gross. And we know Winston said also a fat phobic comment last book or the previous one of he always gets set up with fat girls basically and he has to put yeah. them on the floor to eat a hamburger or something. In this They're one, short is the other thing. They're short and fat. That's That was the floor work that he was referencing. I think there's a possibility that Winston has an eating disorder. I only have... I have very thin evidence and it's more something I'm interested yeah. in exploring and I want to see if more comes from this. But what really struck me was when they're talking about, I think Liz is talking to him about Robin saying like, oh, she's a great girl, you should get to know her, da-da. Winston goes, I get nervous around people who eat all the time. Yeah. I highlighted that as a problematic statement. That doesn't feel eating disordery to me. It feels, doesn't it, it feel like, like it's something, like it's something more than 
what would be the sort of baseline reaction yeah. even to a fat phobic person in this culture in this perspective like even like elizabeth and jessica or like jessica who is the most fat phobic is not saying it makes me nervous how much yeah she- it's weird and i i wonder if this is winston's class clown way of dealing with the fat phobia he feels like he's kind of trying to make light of it make it a joke make it funny in some way and it i want to be clear it is not funny Uh, but do you think that might be it i would except he was in a serious mode like first he's joking he's like what's with you guys why are you pushing to get me and robin together and then elizabeth goes i didn't mean it that way i i forgot that i asked her but i thought since you have plans you might want to go with me and then he studies elizabeth affectionately that was nice of you but robin dot 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 well she's okay we don't have much in common though i get nervous around people who eat all the time i think it's supposed to be a joke we'll see yeah so for me it's also like i highlighted the first time that we see robin without getting a commentary on her body and it's like maybe the eighth time the first seven times francine has to be like oh yeah remember she's fat her fatness is like an active problem for like everyone in this world. It's like it's yeah. like a some of the way that we talk about like she always she's introduced first as like always showing up at inopportune times. She's always interceding. She's always interloping. She's never where she's supposed to be. She's like truly unruly. Her body refuses to be contained, and that gets written into her fatness and onto her fatness. Like she's messy. Yeah. She's like a messy person. And she's sort of like desperate with people. Like the way she acts with people is very desperate. Yeah. As if we're supposed to think she's pathetic. We're supposed to feel bad for her. We're supposed to think. She's like so grateful to like bake a casserole for Jessica. Party. What party? Robin asked. Running after Jessica as fast as her plump legs would carry her. Yeah. Her desperation is born up in her fatness. Her desperation is because of her fatness. Yeah, and her fatness, like, literally inhibits her from, like, making friends because her plump legs can't carry her fast enough to keep up with them. And never are we, like, asked to do any kind of thinking around what it would be like for Robin or... That's next book. But, yeah, it's absolutely disgusting. I mean, are you ready to get into the Jessica Bruce, like, dynamic here? I also want to talk about Ned and Alice and Ned being gross about Alice's work. Oh, my God. He's, I had a que- I had several questions about that. Ned is bad. He's a bad man. How, can I just ask, like, early on, there's this kind of, like, talk and feeling around Elizabeth understands and knows how bad Bruce is, but Jessica doesn't. Do we know why? Did Elizabeth have some encounter with him in the first book, or am I misremembering that? I, can't, I don't remember. Yeah, I just, I don't understand the, she she knows the real Bruce Pittman better than he does. Pittman. Elizabeth knows the real Bruce Pittman better than Jessica does. It's like, how? Maybe she was friends with one of the girls he dumped and, like, heard something from her. But I feel like something happened with them. It feels like in this text, Elizabeth is given, like, second sight. Given, like, exceptional insight that others don't have. She sees the real Bruce Pittman. The whole thing with the record industry executive... That whole B-plot, sorry, listeners, B-plot, the droids are getting picked up by a talent executive. Elizabeth immediately is like, are you sure he's for real? Elizabeth asks skeptically. Like, she immediately knows something is up. And then, spoiler alert, it turns out he's not a real talent executive. He got fired. He's terrible. She is sort of, that's her general 
way she's a cautious person she reacts like whenever there's a new idea or a new thing like she'll always kind of have that reaction of like okay but let's take the proper things and one thing like that's why she doesn't get stuck with tofu blow 800 boxes of it in the garage but i just feel like in this section or in this novel she really is given yeah well i think i thought it was really interesting how she sort of described to todd like just this like anxiety she was feeling over sort of seeing what was happening and being unable to do anything about it and like maybe it's a combination of like elizabeth being prudent elizabeth you know actually having some other experience or access to knowledge about bruce potentially and then also the sort of twin instinct of like this thing comes up sometimes of like when the other one was really in trouble sometimes one of them would like actually know it like in her body mm. and that is a thing that happens sometimes so maybe it's just sort of all of those things combined but what i was just struck by with that of like that's a very real conundrum and feeling of like someone whose loved one is in an abusive situation. Like that's a really yes. deep and painful and real thing. Like that's a really yeah. upsetting feeling. So I, I, don't, I was just sort of interested to see it like depicted. I'm not sure what it necessarily meant. I do think it does give us a really interesting, like it is tricky to navigate these situations. It is difficult to help a friend, sister, loved one, who is going through something tough. I mean, should we read it? I, I have a, just a clip here, if, a passage here that I, one of, one of the many dark passages about Jessica and Bruce. He kissed her deeply, took her breath away, leaving her helpless in his arms. As much as Jessica loved the way she was feeling, another part of her was disturbed. She was used to having the upper hand with boys, but she already was starting to feel out of control. She had to slow him down. He, he kissed her again, and this time she felt herself respond with rising passion. And as Bruce's lips pressed against hers, she felt her power over him slip away. Bruce, in control and knowing it, broke the kiss and looked deeply in her eyes. But baby, you'd know in a minute if we did have a problem. And she says, Why? Oh. Why would I know? This is one of the grossest sentences in all of literature. Yeah, by the empty space next to you. Jessica suddenly Fuck felt you. insecure and vulnerable. She felt insecure and vulnerable. She cuddled closer to him and her sexiest voice with her lips tickled his ear and whispered softly, it doesn't feel empty now. He responded by turning his face to hers and kissing her hard, his arms crushing her against him, his mouth demanding what his body wanted to take. That feels like that kind of powerlessness, the idea that she feels worthless, confused, unsure of her place in the relationship and what's going on. I think that's foreshadowed much earlier in chapter two. We're at like the after party, I think. And Bruce Patman is telling this horrific story about how he gets pulled over by the cops and he, once the cop figures out who he is, he says, one of the Sweet Valley Patmans. And then, so they're having this like kind of funny give and take, Bruce and his friend. You sure you didn't threaten to stick your dad on this guy? No, would I do a thing like that? I'm too nice a guy to stoop to that. Wouldn't you say, Jessica? He squeezed her around the waist. A long silence followed as everyone in the group waited for Jessica's reply. Finally, realizing all eyes were upon her, she snapped out of her daydream. Oh, am I supposed to say something? She asked. For the first time in her life, she was caught completely off guard. Is there a less Jessica scene in all of literature than her sitting there listening attentively and then it taking her a while to realize people are paying attention to her? And then- Am I supposed to say something? Yeah, that's yeah. like in what world does Jessica not already have a witty quip planned? Maybe it's crushing. Maybe it's cruel. Maybe you'll be thinking about it for the rest of your life as she flays you 
with no, her rapier she's wet. She's ready. She's like lights up. She's there. And so this just for me was the, the beginning of the end. I do think it's worth mentioning that, you know, Jessica talking about like losing power to Bruce when she continues kissing with him and stuff. What she's saying is maybe on the one hand she's losing power because kissing him is like submitting because she's supposed to be mad at him or play hard to get or something like that. But then the other thing is like being out of control in terms of like your sexual desires and your ability to like discipline yes. and limit them. I think she says something like she knew it was on her to make sure it didn't go too far or something like that, right? She has the responsibility to control her desires and also by like doing what she wants physically, she like automatically loses power in her romantic relationship, which is like such a sad, sad. Yes, it speaks of milks and cows and buying things and getting them free. I think it speaks of a way we raise a generation of women to yeah. expect relationships to go. We would be so remiss. Ned, Ned. No, I'm not on Ned yet. Okay, what? Did you just completely gloss over this? They're in the lake at Ken's house. The bikini. Oh my God! Too caught up in the rapture of the moment, Jessica had no idea what he was doing. He yeah. Was. Until she felt the cool water swirl under her bikini top and hit her breasts. Right in front of everyone, Bruce had untied her bathing suit strings. Though only her head and shoulders were visible above the water, Jessica was still shocked. Bruce was moving too far, too fast. She realized she had to retie the top without making him think she was some kind of goody-goody. The way that Francine captures like, <clears throat> the negotiation inherent in being a woman in America is so soul-crushing and so sad like this guy has just assaulted you it it's so astute it's so yeah astute. it's so astute okay it's almost too and then he goes don't you like to play big girl games what's the matter jess don't you like to play big girl games yeah or are you just a tease yeah what a gross gross yeah it's disgusting it's rape culture it's rape culture i mean it's actually like just kind of rape yeah, you know how you were saying that time, like, she has no outlet? It's so unfair that, like, she wants to have fun and explore her sexuality with guys. And in order to do so, she has to get into these elaborate, like, psychosexual mind games in order to, like, protect her safety and reputation. Um, yeah. But, like, literally she ends up, like, in a forest or in a car or in a lake without her bikini. And it's like, she, it's like she's just trying to be like, oh, haha, like, everything. It's like... It's frightening, and it's so sad that, like, these are her options. And and you can even, just even in this interchange, this is not the Jessica we know, even as she is sweet-talking and getting out of this. Yeah. Which is rape culture. Yeah, just the Jessica the, we like, know would say, what in the actual fuck? Yeah. Instead of saying these kind of non-sequiturs that don't really make any sense, Oh, no, I like playing as much as you do. I just don't like to rush into things. It's more fun when you take your time. Didn't anyone tell you that that's what girls really like? And then he says, so now you're playing hard to get. It's not fun, witty banter. She sounds like a cornered animal who is just trying to come up with things to say to get safe and free. Yeah, like he's being a predator and she is pretending to try to be flirtatious in order to protect her safety, basically. To watch the ways in which she both subtly and not subtly changes is really, really heartbreaking. Yeah. And I just, I know you're not interested in the slippages between the ways in which, like when I heard that 
interchange between Bruce and Jessica. I was like, this kind of sounds like a Bruce and Elizabeth moment, although not exactly. The, the kind of way that she was, it wasn't as sharp and fiery as Jessica normally is. And then Elizabeth comes upon Jessica and Bruce. And Bruce, I'm sure you remember this scene. Yeah. Bruce says, look, honey, I'm not your honey, Elizabeth snapped. That to me feels like the bold, decisive, powerful Jessica that we know and love or know and hate. As like, yes. And it's not that I'm and. not interested in that, but I just think you're overreading it. Like I think, or or I think you're mischaracterizing Elizabeth maybe. The way Jessica's acting is very passive. Elizabeth is not passive and she, so Elizabeth saying I'm not your honey in that situation. Doesn't feel out of character for you at no. all. That's interesting. It does feel a little out of character. Cause, me, especially because she's already heightened. It, it, she's already been panicking about this for weeks and now she sees them in a forest or whatever they are, right? Like, so she's already in a heightened, she's ready to react too. As we all are. But I do feel like there's more of a gentleness to our Elizabeth. Let's keep... And she is... Put a pin in that? Like, I hear you, and... but And you don't agree. Well, let's just see. Like, I think that will be something that, with more books... Only time will tell. Yeah. Well, like, I'm ready for time to tell like, that tale. Like Todd's gayness. Um, I mean, that tale is as old as time. I did have a, another thought about that. Do you have a, another Todd Gaywatch piece of evidence? You know how we talk about, like, every possible reading of that line of, like, you should trust him, I mean, or her, or whatever, right? I thought of a totally different reading for it, which I think might be the actual, what it is. Which I think is... I'm worried, because I just came up with a one, too, yeah. I think it was just, like, it being the 80s and, like, gender neutral as Yes, I think, yeah. And then he's like, or her, because Elizabeth's such a raging fucking feminist. Um, I don't want that to be it. Okay. Well, we'll keep reading and we'll keep seeing what we see. But I think there's some other candidates who are possibly gay. So let's just keep our eyes open. I mean, my eyes are peeled and excited. <laughs> so Peeled and excited. That's funny. Um, okay, are we at Ned yet? I don't have more to say about Bruce. He's disgusting. He's disgusting. <laughs> I just, I can't remember if this was your quote. I think this is a different quote that's the exact same as the quote you said. What? <laughs> she goes... As much as Jessica loved the way she was feeling, another part of her was disturbed. She was used to having the upper hand with boys. But yeah, she I read that. That was, that was what you read? Yeah, you were fully not listening. No, that's not what you read. <laughs> what chapter is what you read in? Oh my God, I don't know, but it is the same. All right, what's the point? What's because the point? you didn't read the thing about Jessica lying about Todd cheating on her. Um, that wasn't shocking to you? It was. I just skipped it for the purposes of that conversation. I just picked and chose. I wasn't trying to obscure anything. I was just trying to pick something for what we were talking about. But yeah, let's talk about it. Jeez, it's please. just so wild that the way that she figured out how to slow down Bruce is by lying about Todd cheating on Liz. Well, remember one of the things we talked about last time is how Jessica's deflection strategies against her vulnerability... Mm-hmm. So she could say to Bruce, I feel unsafe right now. <laughs> Instead, right, she deflects onto rumors, gossip. I mean, you don't think it's like a little chilling and foreshadowing that the lie she tells is that Todd is cheating on Liz. And of course, we all know what happens at the end of the text. Bruce is cheating on Jessica. And that's the last straw. You don't see that chilling foreshadowing, that duality, that doubling? 
Well, maybe, because then, because then I guess when he says, that's for sure, baby, we don't have any problems, do we? And then he says, you know, if we did. So I guess maybe he's sensing that she's not, or maybe he's sensing that she is, as we said last week, when you talk about other couples, you're always already talking about yourself. So maybe Bruce always. Says, no, I just, I think. It's foreshadowing. I was just, it's, it's foreshadowing, and it's just interesting that, like, yeah. what, what Jessica's mind conjures as a problem. Yeah, totally. Yes. Eventually happens to her. It just seems interesting to me. Ooh, wait, Robert. Yeah? I like that. Because she says, like, she says, I hope Liz hasn't found out the truth. And he says, what's that? And she says that Todd's been fooling around. I can't bear to tell her she'll be so hurt. But also, it's, what's that, asked Bruce, has curiosity revived? So it's also the, like, she knows something salacious gossip will get him. Yeah. Right? So, but but also her saying she'll be so hurt is also... You know, and I would be hurt if something like that happened yeah. to me. So, yeah, totally. What's interesting to me, again, about this, we don't, this, it's like truly one of the most chilling lines in all of literature. That's for sure, baby. We don't have any problems, do we? But, baby, you'd know in a minute if we did have a problem by the empty space next to you. He's using a we, but any reader understands that what he means is, I don't have a problem with you right now. Because if I had a problem with you, I would leave you. Yeah, it's so chilling, and upon further reflection, what I'm now realizing even makes it more disturbing for me, or, like, what makes it, like, if you're in that situation disturbing, is that what him sort of not being there, if there's a problem, also implies is that if there's a problem, you won't see it coming. I'm not going to tell you you do something I don't like. I'm not going to, you know what I'm saying? And so it's also this thing of, like, well, not only do I have to be perfect and on my best behavior because if i make one mistake he's gone i don't even know what one mistake is so now i have to make myself crazy figuring out what perfect looks like because i i don't have any strikes and i mean jessica suddenly felt insecure and vulnerable so sad. she cuddled close it's so sad her feeling insecure and then cuddling closer and it's just i want to cry for her i really do and it's what's confusing to me as a reader, especially as an early reader of these texts, and let's be real, a fairly simplistic reader of these texts. I mean, some of the manipulation that Bruce does is not dissimilar to some of the ways that Jessica manipulates. 100%. And so that's what's really chilling is that I want to live in a world where I am totally different as a Jessica, which is kind of how I see myself from the world of Bruce. And this is holding a mirror up and saying, actually, I think we're on a spectrum. Sweet Valley refuses to let us keep those sort of false kind of- Binaries. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's really, it's a non-binary text. She's really pushing back against- Good guys and bad guys. Yeah. And we see that constantly. People are doing themselves. Enid killed a kid almost. She's good. I mean, yeah. She didn't get close to killing a kid. Every every guy in town rapes someone. They're fine. Yeah, of course. So people are complicated. I'm into chapter three. I'm I don't even remember the Ned stuff, so I'm not that I'm not clamoring to get there. It's it's just like one or two things, but I just need to talk about it. Okay, let me talk about Ned. Alice has been seeming distracted. Then she talks about a work thing. Says here that George Fowler is ex- expanding his plant. Alice Wakefield put down the Sunday paper as she spoke to her husband Ned. I'm going to call him first thing tomorrow and show him my portfolio. I could come up with some wonderful designs for him. Pause. He's expanding his plant. It's a factory. You don't need graphic design and interior design for a factory, right? 
I think you do. It's involves probably more industrial design, but she maybe has an industrial designer that she could partner with. Okay. Um, or maybe there's an office space that's going to be connected to it, and maybe okay. part of the expansion includes a, an office space that she could design. That makes sense. I just this I highlighted this section just to be like, what kind of plant needs an interior designer? Like, doesn't make. No, I'm sense. so glad you asked. Thank you. I'm glad that you had a, a readily available story you told yourself. Ned shook his head. I don't know, honey. I hear he's already negotiating with a big design firm from San Francisco. Alice lifted her brows in surprise and distress. How do you know? And why didn't you tell me sooner? Ned's face assumed that slightly bemused expression that always came over him when they discussed his wife's career moves. I found out from Mariana on Friday, he said offhandedly. It didn't seem important at the time. Mariana West was a partner in his law firm. Oh, was she? Mariana West was a partner in his law firm? Yeah. For one moment, he was, almost, she was almost his mistress. Lest we forget. Alice Lest held her breath for a moment. She was unhappy with her husband's lack of interest in her work, but she had no desire to make an issue of it, to make an issue of it on this bright, clear Saturday morning. So first of all, he fucking sucks. Second of all, later, um, when Jessica's talking about Bruce... They're like, oh, who, who are you going out with? And she says, Bruce. And then Ned, and then Ned says, the Patman boy, eh? Her father noted approvingly. So why does he Bruce. approve of Bruce Patman? And he sh- and he has no plausible deniability of not knowing that he sucks because he's been up against the family before in that court case. And he knows all about the Patmans and how, like, they're not good people. When Jessica's telling her parents about how she doesn't play tennis against Bruce, and they're like, okay, alarm bells, like, what? With that now familiar dreamlike look in her eyes, Jessica had said, I'd rather watch him, Daddy. He looks so beautiful on the courts. Mr. Wakefield smiled at his daughter's romantic vision while his wife gave Elizabeth a worried look. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He sucks. When you hear, Alice held her breath for a moment. She was unhappy with her husband's lack of interest in her work but she had no desire to make an issue of it on this bright, clear Sunday morning. Yeah. I'd love for you to, to move beyond I would, just plot well, summary and join me in the realm of analysis. Jessica is modeling her mother's right. sublimation in order right. to, quote-unquote, keep the peace and ensure the continued affections of her male partner. It's how sad is it and how, how astute, how incisive, how brilliant is Pascal's wit to, to show us the way that these tropes are passed down from generation to generation. We recreate the relationships that we have seen in our lives. And as we see them play out to sometimes tragic, tragic, tragic ends, we sometimes are just doomed to keep repeating, keep dancing that terrible dance. Most of us, you could say. All of us, I would say. And what but I think- isn't that so interesting? Like it's, it's the kind of thing that makes me feel like this is literature and not just like capital L literature, I will say. Totally. And what I think is nice about having it be a series and getting to see some of the character and story development over the series is that like Pascal's gun doesn't have to be Oh yeah. as Great. swiftly shot, right? Like That's such a good point. So it's kind of nice that we can read a book where, like, we see a couple of subtle moments of Alice having frustration. Oh, my God. And then, Wait. like, there isn't a big fight. And that's just sort of there. Um, and then it may come back later or whatever. Yeah. But it's like... I'm now worried they're getting divorced but, based on what you just said, spoilery. No, no, no. I just mean, like... I know. I know what you mean. You're brilliant. You're offering 
useful insight. I just it's not this a spoiler. has got my hackles up. It's not a spoiler. Like yeah, no. all it means is like that. That's not the last time in 144 books you're gonna hear Alice have a sigh. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. So it's kind of nice because it's not. There's no rush. Yeah. And it's also oh. more like reality. Like stuff builds. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like little things build over years. Yeah, so, yeah. I'm intrigued now because now that I remember, what I remember the plot of the first book was, is Ned cheating on Alice? And like the end of that is we're supposed to think like, no, he wasn't. You got it wrong. But it's like, wait a minute. I kept just being like, isn't it weird that these people are so ready to believe this? And now I'm like, wait a minute, what is it about their relationship that makes these people so eager to believe them? Like the fact that Alex, uh, Alice's expression showed distress when Ned said the thing about the San Francisco firms and like that being a big blow to her and saying, why didn't you tell me earlier? Really does imply that like he would have known that she was interested in submitting for this project or that like she would potentially be interested in submitting in this project like it seemed like a significant disappointment and like she wasn't necessarily like i don't know it, it seemed like he maybe would have reason to believe and like so that combined with us learning that he has a sort of characteristic bemusement at her career makes it seem like he is being like there is something weird going on and then the fact of like then him being like yeah i learned it from mariana west and she's like and him saying it offhandedly and then her being like, and what did, what were you talking about? Like the, the last thing, the last thing Alice says to Ned before Elizabeth's ears go quiet is what were you talking about? Which I found so interesting because Elizabeth had a resolve at the exact moment that it got felt to me not resolved. Like Elizabeth's like, oh good. Alice was like, mom was only stressed out because she was thinking about this job thing. But like literally Alice is being like oh you found that out from mariana like what were you talking to her about and then elizabeth stops listening like her she goes back to whatever she was doing or something at that exact moment i'm like that's the moment where i'm like elizabeth is sort of not getting it which also seems realistic so it's just interesting that mariana like oh she said sorry what were you talking what were you and mariana talking about dear as if she like also is the same way that jessica does with yeah like sweetening things and making things like seem a little better well, she's trying to make it seem light. We haven't talked about uh, just the way that all of the quote unquote bad boys are bad basically in the same way. Like they're controlling, they're dismissive, they include negging. And I just wonder, is there not a wider range of ways to talk about negative and bad relationships? Oh, there's a multiplicity. Like this is an unusually similar batch of few that we're doing. There's like one more in the next 10 where this same exact thing happens pretty much all over again. And then yeah. it's like some different stuff for a while. Okay. Like, but it's, it's not even just that they're dating a bad guy. For me, it is that the guys are all bad in the exact same yes. way. Yes. Controlling. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, no. And in fact, what gets interesting is when it starts being, I think, guys that are not necessarily bad, but just relationships where someone's needs aren't being met or they don't understand yeah. the other person's behavior or they're hurt by it and they have to understand what's going on and maybe what does that person have going on at home or they don't have to learn to communicate or they have to they have to sort out some problem like we see those types of things where it's not necessarily yeah. just some brute in at miller's point i look forward to that so we have um, that I'm, i I've, I've had my full of brutes i liked when um i know you're not there yet but when elizabeth says can i wear your black and white miniskirt jessica says take it bruce can't stand new wave clothes Okay, I mean, the fact that uh, I'm gonna, again, I'm not screaming, Robert, take a breath. 
that gets into, if you'd be willing to join me in the realm of analysis. Robert, what? Just what? what? This, the doubling of clothing, the way that Elizabeth is borrowing clothing from Jessica yeah. and Jessica is restyling herself in the kind of very similar muted neutral colors that we saw elizabeth wearing at the beginning of the text yeah, this idea of the switching over yes. the doubling the duality it's much more than just a quick offliner about a one-off about him not liking new wave clothes it's about them switching positions about them changing and kind of i understand this but robert okay. if you're gonna say this speech and every time one of them borrows a sweater from the other one we're yeah. gonna be here a long time okay because let me tell you <laughs> let me tell you what happens a lot okay Okay, I do. I agree with you. Right <laughs> to, to say that speech every time one of the brothers is sweater from the other one. But I see your point. Um, I love the tennis scene. Francine's writing really sparkles when she talks about sport. Hmm. I yeah. watch a lot of competitive tennis. I like the tennis also. This was right up there with any any of the best tennis writing I've read. Where are we? We're just midway through chapter five. There's some great, really, I yeah. mean, Jessica returned the serve with a clean, hard backhand, backhand down the line. Okay, let me read one paragraph. So for context, like basically, Jessica's starting off playing confidently, which is what she's used to. She's an excellent tennis player with Bruce. She's doing well. He's surprised. And it says, she couldn't hear what Bruce muttered under his breath, but she could see that the smile is yep. now gone from his face. Again, he smashed the ball across the court. M dash. And again, Jessica's natural reaction was to hit it back, period. Perfectly, period. Not to get to whatever, but the sort of cadence of the sentence oh and the way yeah. the period, perfectly, period. And like, he did this. And again, she did that. It felt so powerful. Like, I love it. It was very satisfying to read because it was like, that is who Jessica is. Like, he senses she hits it right back every single time, right? That's what yeah. the real Jessica does. It's so good. Who do you think you are, Chris Everett Lloyd? Bruce yelled across the net. It was clear he didn't mean it as a compliment. So interesting. So weird. I mean, Chris Everett Lloyd, do you know about Chris Everett Lloyd? No. Chris Lloyd? She's an amazing world-class tennis player. Champion. The idea that Bruce would use this powerful, strong, very accomplished woman as an insult is so interesting. Like, for a woman to be excellent is embarrassing. But then it's also the thing of, like, who do you think you are? It's like, by just being good at something, it means you're posing like yeah. it means you're an imposter like it means you're trying to be something you're not just by being good it means you're and that is also something to be embarrassed it's like what the fuck that's so crazy and it has unfortunately the exact result that he wants bruce didn't appear to appreciate her skill and it was obvious he would be angry at her if she ended up winning carrying that logic one step further she concluded he'd probably decide not to play with her anymore he might even decide she was too aggressive off the court as well and dump her all together. That was a possibility Jessica couldn't bear. So she did the only thing she could to protect herself. For the first time in her life, she actually tried to lose at something. To protect herself. She's been caught off guard. She's protecting herself. I mean, there's just so much sadness. It's also interesting the way this is framed. I mean, it's accurately framed, but like she is winning at losing. She's always going to win. Sometimes what she's winning at is losing. But she's so powerful, she's always going to win. Because the challenge is figuring out how to win. Yeah. Exactly. We get an interesting moment of Bruce's psychology at the very opening of Chapter 6. She's really, really upset about the chemistry test. Bruce couldn't imagine what had happened. But he liked playing the role of Jessica's savior. 
isn't that kind of interesting? It's also interesting, obviously, like, he can't imagine what had happened. Like, Yeah, no, I'm just thinking about him liking being a savior and what about his sort of upbringing or history might make that feel good to him. I don't know, but I think that's a really important thing to notice. In the future, he has relationships that make that a very interesting question to ask. Very interesting. I'm, very. I God, I hope he doesn't end up with Enid. It's so confusing to me. He asks her what's wrong. And then all she says is that idiot Mr. Russo had the nerve to give me an F on my chemistry test. And Bruce says, no more tears, babe. It's only a dumb test. It's like, this just feels like such a... I've been in relationships with people like this who say, no more tears. Why are you crying? Yeah, like he just... Don't be upset. He just fully doesn't care. Like he wants to just spend as little time possible talking about it. And pretending to... like want bad emotions. He knows he's supposed to ask. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't, it's, it's just interesting, no? Is it okay to say, I like Winston? And then later when he's rude to Robin at the dance, I wrote, ugh, story I have to tell myself. He's so sad about Jessica that he's ignoring Robin, but he's not actually evil. Or just, you know, it's both and. He's, I don't want him to be evil. He's, he's flawed. He has issues, yeah, he has body issues. And he has, like, he is being legitimately rude to Robin. Okay. But it's both. He's, a, he's basically a good guy. Okay. We see, of course, the doubling of clothing. I just feel like I want, I mean, maybe it happens every time. And so maybe I, I am going to give this speech every time she borrows a sweater. But it's like the way that they talk about it. Mentally rejecting most of her wardrobe, she finally decided to ask Jessica if she could borrow one of her wilder, flashier outfits. No, but... You can't... What, is that... It's the same time? Like, Every it's, time? It's just... Yeah, it's a book about twins with opposite personalities. So, like... I just... I need you. I need you to just go with me. Fine, go. We're talking on... In the same chapter, like, three or four paragraphs apart from each other, Elizabeth is saying, you can't go to Rock Club looking at your own grandmother... Hoping that, wait, stop. Hoping that Jessica would, wouldn't give her a hard time. At least they were talking. Triumphantly, Jessica pulled a brown wool blazer and matching skirt out of one bag and two Oxford shirts from another. The look was tasteful, classic, and rich, yet very unlike Jessica. I, I understand that we can't have this conversation every single time one of them borrows a sweater. I understand that. I don't like it, but I understand that. In this moment, we as readers are being drawn to the doubling. Jessica is literally unpacking clothing that Elizabeth would wear. It seems like a brown wool blazer and matching skirt are like an upgrade over the wheat-colored pants. Yeah, and I also want you to understand that these books are about these girls sort of exploring themselves their self-expression their personalities learning growing relationships developing let me try on this identity let me try on this other identity and conveniently each other's closets happens to be a great resource you know for that type of trying on and you are going to see a lot of times say jessica might have a job interview she said maybe she goes to liz closet to get a blazer Okay, Elizabeth going on a special date maybe she goes to just closet to get a little bit sexier outfit like this is just run-of-the-mill 
activities for these people. And I hear you. And we did discuss that this book, I think, is especially touching on it in the sense that, number one, we learn early on, Elizabeth is having the jealousy for Jessica's flair. And then, of course, with Jessica becoming, you know, having a bit of a personality change and this sort of impacting the other. So, yeah, I agree with you. It's all there. I just... Thank you. I don't know that there's really more to say on it. Okay. I just... It feels dismissive, but that's kind of your... No, I just... I agree with you. Okay. And what else do you need from me? <laughs> what do you need to hear from me about this? I think I think I've heard it. I guess. Um, I am very scared, and I am not asking for a spoiler here. Okay. But I'm I... very scared. In chapter seven, Todd spends a lot of time looking at the Virago, a motorcycle. Well, you know there's I a do... motorcycle storyline. I'm not spoiling, but you, you, we, I think we talked about it, or something. Or you know about it. I know. I just, I don't, they talk about the motorcycle. They talk about how foggy it is and how you can't see anything. It comes up later. And that's not um, spoiler. I'm sure you don't want to do any analysis right now, but if you did. Let's do analysis. You got time? <laughs> what kind of analysis do you want to do? Could you remind me when you get a chance, if you can remember, it's hard to remember, I'm sure. What is Bruce's license plate? One Bruce one. Can you talk to me a little bit about the multiple meanings that one Bruce one can have? What happens if I say no? Then you just have to listen to me talk. Mm, doubling? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want from me? He's number one. It's a vanity okay. plate. One Bruce one. He's also winning. He's Charlie Sheen. Great. You know, but there's a one at the beginning, a one at the end of the bookends, you know, in and in and the bookends of the Patmans historically are the sort of bookends of you're off, you're off, you're off, you're Sweet off. Valley. Let me take it back. The sort of bookends of, of the mirrors, mirror image. You know, the one and the one as a sort of mirror image of, of the there sort of, we're going. And the twin and the doubling and, and and is he sort of playing with his sort of identity and what are the sort of shadow bruises that lie beneath that we may not get to see. And the ways in which he acts like acts as a mirror to bring out some of the shadow Jessicas that we'd rather not. Your favorite topic, yeah. <laughs> the, literally the only topic. I don't know why. I, like, What is there in this book except for doubling? Also, one and one is two. Mm. I just felt like I May really I? liked the way... Yeah, yeah. Sorry, please finish your thought. I, just, I love the kind of like, it's not a palindrome, but this like imperfect palindrome of the mirroring, the duality, the doubling. That's what I was trying to say with bookends and not able to say it. Yeah. I think you got there. Um, okay, so I think we got as much mileage out of one Bruce one as I as I think we can. Mm. I do actually think there's something about one being the first, and like the Patmans were there first kind of thing. But oh, it I means love like that. original. Yeah, there's an obsession with lineage that's present in one Bruce one. As this guy Jax on Vanderpump Rules once said, sure. "I'm the number one guy in this group." That's how Bruce feels. Stop acting like you're the number one guy in this group, man. I'm the number one guy in the screw. Elizabeth describes Bruce as an evil wizard out to twist Jessica into anything he wants, which I think is both accurate and is just like, we've seen Jessica do that over and over and over again. There's something extreme in her reaction. It's almost like there's something triggering Elizabeth because I agree with you. Like, yes, she's concerned and yes, all of this, but the way she's the... The extreme language of him being a wizard. Yeah. There's something going on here that's beyond, right? And so it's like, sh sh is it this? She's sophisticated enough to see what's happening and that he's being abusive and manipulative and that it's really bad, right? But mm -hmm. she's still but. only 16 
And so she goes to extremes. She doesn't understand necessarily that there's a dynamic by which Jessica is also like, maybe it's something where she needs to make him be like, so a villain villain. of proportions of him. He has to be a wizard for this to be possible because how else? Like for her to make sense of what she's seeing, the Jessica she knows, she can't make sense of how Jessica would behave that way. The only way is if someone is brainwashing her, right? It's like, it just doesn't compute because she understandably doesn't understand the nature of abuse dynamics or whatever right where this actually, where this actually can ha- but it's but it's that thing of i feel like she's experiencing yeah. that like moment of like oh it could happen to her like it's like does not compute like it doesn't happen to girls like jessica she's confident she's yeah. this, right so it's he has to be a wizard which i think is actually a really if we think about it from Reasonable. that perspective is a really smart way to depict how a really intelligent and aware but still 16-year-old girl yeah. would make sense of what she's seeing. Yeah, I think it's interesting because there's some parts of this that feel so alien or wrong or like not accurate to a high school experience. But at its core, I do think Francine has her finger on what a six, what it is to be 16, what it is to be going through these bad relationships, what it is to be dragged to Kelly's against your will and be scared. Like, I, I, I think, think she knows these girls. Yeah, I think, like, obviously the situations are ridiculous and a lot of stuff is ridiculous, but the psychological insights are really powerful. We should probably just do a quick Enid watch. Any Uh, idea what Enid's up to? Enid R is packing up her suitcases for another weekend visit with GW. Fourth in a row, but who's counting? Question mark. Oh, okay. Do you have thoughts on that? Um, Just that I was like, oh, good to know what's going on with Enid. But also, Um, fourth in a row? We just got done with, how long ago was the Fall of Queen Dance? Because, I mean, the one thing I would say is, as we've observed, Enid is sort of dramatic in this way that they don't describe as dramatic, but she yeah. does all these, like, dramatic things, and so... But she's moving in with George, basically. Yeah, her throwing herself into this... Like, remember when George came to her house and she's like, Ronnie, Ronnie who? Never heard of him. Like, yeah. I'm addicted oh, to you. And so now it's like she's going to visit him four times. Like, okay, just clocking it. Yeah, that's that's that was kind of the just clocking it. Thing. Yeah. And then something this is not like an analytical moment. This is just sometimes the books kind of tickle me. So we learned that from a snippet, an intertextual snippet of eyes and ears that Francine has lovingly provided us. I believe it's the first intertextuality in the text. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth sighed with despair after giving her latest column for the Oracle a final read. Oh. <laughs> it seemed to her that it lacked its usual punch. Then- Had her writing Yes. And then she's like, nope, still got it. It was had as much pizzazz as usual. (laughs) Had her writing gone stale, she wondered? No, the breezy copy was as fast-paced and readable (laughs) as always. I love that. I love that on so many levels. Like, within the concept of the book, it's really funny. Yeah. It's also funnier to me that Francine and whoever her guest editor, like, they're talking about their own writing. Yeah, they're patting themselves on the back. It's like, we really crushed this one. You know what? Because it's almost like crazy and readable as always. Because it's like you could have had that happen and not show the text of the article. Like yeah. you could have had like just Elizabeth reread her oracle thing and was like, "This doesn't feel like," which is what it normally would be. Um, Very funny to me. For Do we know character? what um, what we call the the residents of Sweet Valley? That's such a good question. I feel like they just call themselves the residents of Sweet Valley. Or... That is not correct. Sweet Valleyans. That's also not correct. Whoa. The importance of close reading. Wait, really? 
Dr. Robert A. Mark. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. I won't. It's not Sweet Valiant? No. And it's not just like Sweet Valley Citizens? No. Don't tell me. I'm, I would never. Sweeties? Oh, I love that. <laughs> I wish. I don't know. That's what we call our lead listener. Can I tell you? Yeah. Sweet Valleyites. Oh, okay. And of course, there's still the famous droids beat that the Sweet Valleyites know us for. Yeah, I'm embarrassed that I didn't know that. Okay. Don't be embarrassed. I just thought it was an interesting yeah. moment. Yeah, no, you're right. I that was from honest. our second intertextual. To be fair, like, my knowledge is pretty encyclopedic. Like, it can't be perfect, yeah. you know? Sure. Gotta leave some room there for housewives. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know you're not into this whole doubling duality. Jessica's becoming Elizabeth. Elizabeth's becoming Jessica. You're not into it. You don't care or buy it or find it an interesting conversation. Shh. Okay, then if you could just snore quietly so our listeners could hear. We get a second intertextual moment, which is where I learned the Sweet Valleyites term. Mm -hmm. And we get that in uh, Elizabeth's reportage of the droids show. Yeah, where she was very generous. Well, it's not that she was generous. Could you be a little more... Do you, know, do you remember exactly what happened? One of them got in there and changed it. Who? Was it Guy? No. So what happens is she's writing this about the second show. Oh, and, and they, they told her about it. They told her about it. It's just interesting to me that, like, in her duality and her slippages between her own traditional role and Jessica's traditional role, like, who do we think of as normally reporting lies? Spreading lies. And yet, Elizabeth's taken over that role. You know, again, she also didn't recuse herself in Board of Education v. Fowler. Like, she, oh, yeah, true. she journalistically speaking, I yeah, think... Yeah, her ethics are cloudy. I just, I think, you know, it's a good point yeah. that, like, she obviously didn't fact-check her source on that second show of the droids. And, like, fact-checking should be de rigueur at... Yeah, definitely. The Oracle office, the Oracle office. And, like, yeah, so I think, yeah, things are... Um, oh, I didn't understand the B plot of the chemistry test. So. I think I can answer your questions here. So I've given a lot of thought. Okay. I really appreciate that. Because I was trying to figure out. Okay. So listeners, what happens is Bruce tells Jessica where the chemistry tests are kept. Jessica then tells Robin, I'm going to nominate you for the sorority. But in order to do that, they have this hazing thing. You need to steal the test and put it in Emily's locker. Then Emily will cheat off the test. Yeah. And yep. I will cheat off of Emily, yep. and I mm -hmm. will pass the test. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm so there. Mm -hmm. So that in and of itself is super convoluted. <laughs> then, oh, do you want to stop me until we get into more convolutions, or should no. I keep going? Go ahead. Then Jessica approaches Emily and says, I know you have a copy of the test. You better cheat off it, or I'm going to tell everybody you cheated off of it. Then Jessica fails the test because Mr. Russo has changed the test because Emily turned herself in for cheating. Emily also didn't study because she got home too late, remember? She falls asleep not studying. Yeah. That's I think why that's, she failed. It's not both? I thought she failed it's both. one because it's both. of... It's both, yeah. So what's your question? What's my question? Mm -hmm. Why would she want Emily to have the test instead of her having the because test herself? Here's why. Why? 
why when Emily turns herself into Mr. Russo, does she get in trouble when she she didn't steal the test? Why doesn't she turn Jessica in? Okay, these are why what like none of it makes any sense. Okay, so my understanding at the level of content, pure Facebook yeah. content, is that the reason that she gave it to Emily instead of, for example, just keeping it and like cheating herself is because Emily is a good and she thought based on previous that Emily is a good enough student that she can figure out the answers to the test because all the test gives her is the questions. She still needs to figure uh... out the answers. And Jessica's whole thing is doing as little as possible to get by, right? So she knows that Emily's smart enough that if she has the questions, she'll be able to do well on the test. And then all Jess has to do is copy them. But if Jess just kept the test herself, doesn't guarantee she would, like, it would mean a lot more work for her to be successful at it. I don't, I, I want to love that. I'm not saying that answers the rest of the questions. It doesn't. But that makes sense to me. I'm wondering, I do feel like that, can't totally why because it works it works robert it does <laughs> what i'm confused about is what 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 <laughs> so i didn't tell so when jessica confronts emily I think it must be the answer key and not just the test because of this, which makes no sense to me. What? Jessica, sorry, <laughs> I'm in the middle of chapter 11. Jessica confronts Emily. Yeah. She says, you double-crossed me, Mayor. No, I didn't, Emily said defiantly. And if you don't believe me, go ahead and tell Russo I had the test if you want, but it won't make a difference. He already knows. He does? You don't have to worry. I didn't tell him about you, and I won't. Why? I do not know. But I couldn't because live with Because she, like having... Jessica, isn't a rat. Certain students, as we value high, have an ethos of not ratting each other out. I think it happened in the last book, or this book. Jessica was, maybe it was even in this book, where it was like, Jessica didn't want to tell. There was a thing of, like, Jessica didn't like to be a tattle. She wasn't going to say a name or something. Like, go on. So I think I that answers that. About... Okay. But I couldn't live with having cheated, so I told him. He yelled a lot and gave me detention in a pile of special assignments, but crazy as it sounds, I feel relieved. That still doesn't explain why I flunked what happened. I didn't do well either. At the last minute, Russo made some changes in the test and printed up a whole new batch of them. He said this test was too much like last year's. If you ask me, Jessica, you're lucky he didn't notice you made the same mistakes I made. Yeah, that was unnecessarily complicated, but it does make sense. It's... I, I'm just not sure that it does. Okay, but where is your question? What is your question? So my what question is, the problem? is, why did, so Emily flunked this test because she made mistakes on it. Because she was using the old test? So again, I believe she flunked for two reasons. <laughs> One is because it was the old test. Two is because she fell asleep on her chemistry book and didn't get a chance to study because of all the drama with the droids. I just, so I, maybe I'm just too tired. It's too, we've been too far. Into I, I want to help you. Help I, me I help you. That. Yeah, I yeah. can sense that. I just, what I don't understand is Emily, did Emily turn herself in before or after the test? It must have been before the test. Yeah. Because Russo changed Because he got a chance test. to change it. Right. 
but once he changed oh so it wasn't the old one it was the new one okay so once he changed okay i guess what happened is right so it was the new one and she did bad because she she wasn't prepared right yes and then so did she or didn't she actually cheat because if she didn't even cheat then why would russo need to change stuff well because he's okay so she didn't cheat but um well it said he changed it anyway because so she could have turned herself in after i guess because he changed it anyway because he just wanted to freshen up the test it sounds like and so she was giving the answers from the earlier test yeah but even if she like recognized okay these questions are different because she didn't do the thing because of the droids she wouldn't have been able to answer them correctly but he should have caught jessica from that and so Jessica was putting down Emily's work. So yeah, and I think But what? He didn't catch anybody. Both of them failed for their own reasons. Right, and I think we're meant to believe that, like, the reason he didn't catch Jessica is because she only took some of the questions, not all of them from her, which was her strategy. Okay. So that's what sort of saved her in the end. So it's just very confusing. It's very convoluted, but I do think it makes sense. It's like unnecessary. Like they didn't have to do all that. But yeah, and what did you you know how the last two books was like ended with Elizabeth getting one over on Jessica in a public way that was like to Jessica's humiliation to punish Jessica? In this one, at the end, Jessica got Elizabeth got one over on Jessica in a public way, but it wasn't to Jessica's humiliation, it was to actually help her. So that was kind of an interesting yeah slippage departure or inversion or inversion that sort of this there's just so many moments that are just pitch perfect and like this moment where elizabeth and jessica are interacting at bruce's party and jessica goes you look great liz it's a wonderful party isn't it i guess it is yeah i told bruce that having a party for everyone was the only way to celebrate his birthday. It was great of you to try and keep it a surprise for me. So you mean sad. You, sad. You mean you knew about the party? Well, not really, but I'm very happy about it. I love being with all my friends. And that's Alice biting her tongue at the breakfast table to, to so everyone enjoys their Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. Anyway, more than anything, I wanted to look perfect for Bruce. And I think I did a pretty good job, don't you agree? The way that she has just, like, become complicit in this, it's just so sad to me. So basically the plot is, Bruce says, I have to leave my party early. I'm going to take you home, Jess. And then Elizabeth's like, no, 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 we'll take you home. And so Elizabeth and Todd plot that they're going to leave for about half an hour and then come back. They're They're going, they're going. Halfway to the Wakefield house and right on cue, Todd spoke up. Uh, I hope you girls don't mind if I make a stop first. I just remember Mr. Stillman said that Jupiter and Saturn would be visible near the moon. <laughs> it's so clear out, I figured I'd try to spot them. I didn't know you were interested in astronomy, Todd. Oh, yes. Ever since I got a telescope when I was 12, he answered quickly, coming up with the first thing that entered his mind. Get it, Todd. Gay and a liar. A man after my own heart. I feel like that was also a sort of 90s, 80s trope was like... Stargazing? Yeah, and, like, people knowing about stars and, like, yeah. oh, look at this and that. That's, like, a thing you do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised you're not more into astrology than you are. I'm into astrology, not astronomy. Oh, true, true, true. Astrology, that's a science. Astronomy, 
made pseudoscience. up. Pseudoscience. Yeah, pseudoscience is the term. Um, I just love the moment where Jessica comes in on Bruce cheating with the redhead. Elizabeth had underestimated her twin. Jessica wasn't in shock at all. The fog, which we heard a lot about earlier, had been lifted. I'm sorry, the fog she'd been enveloped by had simply lifted. And she was now standing there looking for the first time at the real Bruce Patton. As a sly smile stole over her place, face, she mapped out the stages of her revenge. The old Jessica was back, and Bruce Patman was finally going to see her in action. And then we just get a very brief, she dumps stuff on Bruce. Bruce looks embarrassed. But wasn't it so satisfying? Yes. It was also really nice to see the twins' evil streak rot on someone other than one of the twins. Yeah, when they team up, they're really capable. They can do it all. Um. I also love the the doubling of, was it just, no, it was two books ago that Jessica ends the text drenched. This time Bruce ends the text drenched. Yeah, yeah, totally. We're going to get to the cliffhanger. First, we thought we had made progress, but then Elizabeth wished Robin wouldn't put so much faith in Jessica. She was willing to bet anything. Her sister had no intention of keeping that promise. More times than she could remember, Jessica had told her how the chubby girl did not fit in with the sleek PBA image. Elizabeth would nominate Robin for membership, and there would be nothing Jessica could do to stop her. It would probably throw the club and Jessica into an absolute uproar. But they all deserved the pressure, Elizabeth told her, not realizing the chaos she was about to create. Can Liz outwit her scheming twin and make Robin a Pi Beta? Find out in Sweet Valley High number four, Power Play. The, the simple idea that Robin and her nomination could throw the club and Jessica into an absolute uproar, but they deserve the pressure. And Elizabeth doesn't realize the chaos she's going to create. It's just like, wait, what are we talking about here? We're talking about a fat girl becoming a sorority sister? Her existence is a crime. Her existence is offensive. The fact that she thinks she has the right to participate in society is itself an offense to these girls. Already. Always already a crime. It's so upsetting. Okay. Um, as is tradition. Oh. Well, the song. Do you like when I do the ahs at the beginning? Or Very first? much. Uh, uh, Thanks for listening to Sweet Valley Hive, hosted by Robert Marks and Rebecca Pardo. For more, check out our Instagram at Sweet Valley Hive. Theme song by Yessie and artwork by Elliot Carroll.